Ah, that's no good. This house is falling apart. Well, nothing lasts forever. Yeah, I guess. It's just got character. Whether you call Bris Vegas home or are planning a trip to the River City, this is the podcast that will help you plan the ultimate bluey day out. <laughs> the best of Brisbane for real life. This is Bluey's Brisbane with Justin and Lou. Well, g'day, it's Justin here for Bluey's Brisbane, the podcast that goes behind the scenes of Bluey and explores the real life world of the healers. And today, a bit of a treat because we're out and about in the suburbs of Brisbane talking about the architecture of Bluey. Now, one thing that really gets the uh, the Americans talking, Lou, is the Queenslander house that Bluey lives in. But over the seasons, we're now seeing more and more examples of Brisbane architecture, aren't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Queenslanders are just so unique to here. Yeah. And so if you are, like, in particular, like, it's all going off in the US because they're still getting through all the new episodes that have just dropped on Disney Plus. So I think the more they keep seeing the street um, and the facades of around the Healer home, but like you said, season three's got some different eras of houses around yeah. Brisbane. And like you and I are going, ha oh, we know that kind of house kind of moments. Yeah. Um, but we thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about because, you know, we talk about a bluey day out. You can have a bluey day out by... You know, going around some of these suburbs and checking out the styles of houses. Absolutely. So we've brought in the expert, haven't we? We have. We have Marianne Taylor, the house detective, yes. who knows all about architecture in Brisbane. Hi, Marianne. How are you? Hi. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Uh, look, I'm looking at Marianne going, we met in May on the Mother's Day long weekend. Um, oh, I said long weekend. Why aren't mothers getting a long weekend upon reflection? But that, that weekend, and it's an open house weekend in Ipswich City, and there was a lot of historic homes. So we were just uh, bumping into an uh, 1840s corridor of a very yeah, sort of homestead. the oldest kind. house in Ipswich, I think, the oldest surviving home, so very appropriate. Oh, wow. So mm. Claremont's got that to claim to fame. I was mm. a bit awestruck. So there were so many facts that, Claire, that, that clearly went over my head. There was sandstone and the sweeping wide verandas, and it was quite, quite genteel. Um, we're now on your back deck. It's equally genteel, but of a different well, era. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even think they're in the same ballpark, but I appreciate it. Now, we're not just saying the house detective because that sounds cool. That is your business. You're a historian. You actually dig deep on people's homes and properties to find out the history of their homes and the people um, at that address. Um, I remember first encountering you with your Brisbane retro project. So you started to document all of, and we say retro, but that was more mid-century homes on just to give them, you know, their their time on the podium, I guess. Because we talk about Queenslanders, we're talking about the Healer home today, but there's also something very special about post-war and mid-century homes as well. And that project delved into a lot of that or, and also interwar um, homes too. So it was a bit of Art Deco with that. You did a book too by the same name, Brisbane Retro. And you're also the former president, and I'm going to get it right, of the Brisbane branch of the National Trust. That's Queensland right. yes, National exactly. Trust. There are layers to the <laughs> National Trust and I got there in the end. You're a historian um, as well. You, you're pretty experienced. I think we've brought in the big guns, Justin. Absolutely. The big guns for sure. So look, The big gun. The big gun. Now look, <laughs> there is no plural. <laughs> the canon. Her name is Marianne Taylor. Well, I think in terms of um, you know, Brisbane architecture and houses, like Marianne is, is the one to talk to. So now we're looking at um, a picture of the Healer home in cartoon version and 
the actual for real life one that Airbnb did. Um, so, Marianne, um, tell us a little bit about the Queenslander that Bluey lives in. Um, we get a lot of listeners from America and they're just kind of fascinated by these Queenslanders and do these houses actually exist? And yes, they do. So give us a little bit of a background on the, the Healer House when you look at it, you know, what does it say to you? Sure. And I think that's the interesting thing about Bluey, isn't it? That you look at the homes and they're so familiar to us. They're the the homes that make up our inner suburbs. Um, Yet to people who are from down south or from overseas, they're basically these timber boxes on stilts that just look really almost temporary and and Mm. a little bit um, down at heel almost, although that's not how we see them. So looking at the Bluey house, it's... I, I, the, they're so accurate, the houses in Bluey too. That's what I really love. And this is a great example of what would generally be a pre-1900 house. And the key feature that I see that um, makes me think that is that the veranda roof is separate and lower to the main roof. So don't worry, I won't get too nerdy and into it, but that's just a key feature that makes you realise that it is quite an early house. And the um, what's called the gable on the right-hand side that's got the fancy window under it, basically the big triangular part on the right, that was another common um, feature, that asymmetrical style home from the 1800s, late 1800s generally in Brisbane as well. Mm. So it's a gorgeous example, very accurate. The pyramid shaped roof is another key feature of Brisbane's early homes. It's just lovely. And, and what about the bay window? Because I've lived in a house almost identical to the to the Heel house when I was younger uh, in the sort of Paddington um, area, which is very um, bluey central. But it didn't have the bay window. When did sort of bay windows become, you know, fashionable in Brisbane? The bay window was, its heyday was definitely the 20s and 30s. However, having said that, you do find them on much earlier homes around the same period as this, late 1800s, 1890s, but they tended to be on the really fancy pants, grand homes. So not necessarily a smaller cottage like this. They would generally just have had the um, maybe a triple or single double hung window in the gable section so it's a little bit unusual but not impossible but generally on the grander homes they are very very similar style just bigger and they would have another veranda wrapping around the side of the home as well in general. Hmm. So um, give us the background of the Queensland how did this house sort of pop up in you know, the southeast of Queensland and I guess tropical Queensland as well. Sure. There's a, there's a few different theories about where it was imported from. Um, the, the leading uh, ideas are that it was maybe imported with British soldiers who'd served in India or Asia. Um, they'd seen particularly the veranda as well as a concept. It's um, difficult to say. And again, with them being up on stumps off the ground, which is one of the most notable Um, iconic features of them that's thought to be for possibly for a variety of different um, reasons one of them is to get it up out of the floods um, because like a lot of places we built where it flooded before Mm -hmm. we realized Mm -hmm. other ideas are that it makes it easier to keep them away from termites and check that whether or not you've got termites so um you can even see actually in the bluey house they've got the ant caps on top of the stumps which is a really great accurate detail and the other thought was that it lifts it up and lets more breeze through the home as well um, to, to sort of have natural climate control. I think too in Brisbane, in some of the inner city suburbs like Paddington, it made it so much easier to build on the steep land without having to manually alter the land like we do with modern houses. Mm-hmm. I think that's also like a really good point about the hills. 
because we talk about Paddington and Red Hill. It should be Red Hills and lots of, you know, plurals <laughs> there. Um, because it's only uppy downy in Red Hill. Morning, bandit. G'day, kids. Hi. You're up early. Gotta be done. And you can see it in the episode Wagon Ride, and we've just got some stills from that episode to put beside the healer home. And it's, you know, you've, you've got your neighbours towering over you. And there's some really lovely features of some of these still shots that are great. Like you've got the Hills Hoist clothesline. If there was any way to speak Australian, just throw Hills Hoist in, as a phrase <laughs> into a right. sentence. So if you're wondering what on earth that might be... Um, actually, Marianne, do you want to... How sure. would you describe a hill's hoist? I'm actually looking out over the hill's hoist here in yeah, the backyard. Yeah, well, we actually had, before we got this new one, we had the brand Hill's Hoist, which is one brand name for a rotary clothesline. Uh, there were other brands as well, but it's one of those ones where the name became generic to refer to. And so if you think in the... So we're talking about somewhere to hang your washing out, your laundry out to dry. Originally, you would have had lines of rope or cord stretched between two timber posts. So this... Uh, Austra- I think it was an Australian invention as well. Yeah. He invented yeah. what was called a rotary clothesline where it's got... It was made of uh, metal and it had a central post and then it had four... Uh, holes that radiated out from that with the metal wire strung between them and you could the best beauty of it was that you could crank a handle and it wound it up and down so you could lower it to hang the clothes out and raise it for them to dry and there was a cog mechanism inside which was um, what was I, I believe it wasn't actually Hills who had come up with the design but he was the one that was clever enough to patent it and make all the money off it so that and in an integral part of a Queensland backyard where we dry all our clothes out in the sun if you've got the space for one. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, like, we're seeing some of the gables that you were talking about and it hasn't got a bay window. Um, One of the other things that I love, because it's Queensland, and as soon as you say Queensland, I think... You know, if you're Australian or if you're overseas, um, you're thinking about sandy beaches, tropical weather. Now, we're in southeast Queensland, and it's not quite as tropical as you think. However, the fireplaces always get me giggling because they are in single skin timber homes. And for the three weeks of the year, you're cold in winter in Brisbane you'd crank the fireplace up, wouldn't you? (laughs) That's right. And I I know a lot of people say uh, Queenslanders, you know, they were so well designed for the climate. Well, I grew up in one and I can tell you it was freezing in winter and I cursed those open verandas and breezeways above the doors because they were so drafty. So, yeah, they often... um, It was normally more the high-end homes that had Mm. fireplaces in the living areas. In the sort of workers' cottages and smaller homes, they tended to only be in the kitchen because they were used to cook on they weren't used to heat the house as its primary purpose yeah. but yes the fancier houses would have had maybe one or two fireplaces usually in the main living spaces the dining and living rooms um, boring piece of trivia the kind of stuff I store in my head you would generally have a darker mantel piece around the fireplace in the dining room and a lighter one around the fireplace in the drawing room because the dining room was considered a masculine space and the drawing room was where the ladies hung out and was considered a feminine space so you had the paler coloured one this is the kind of random stuff I saw in my head interesting I I like to think so I'm that's going to live rent-free now. About, do I prefer <laughs> my mantelpiece darker or lighter? How feminine or masculine am I when I'm walking through my houses? I was just going to shout back and say, as a kid of far north Queensland, which was tropical and still is, I don't want to make that sound past tense, 
They were so drafty. Yes, when the temperatures dropped even to mild and moderate levels, um, you really knew it because yep. every little crack in the VJs, so the vertical joints or the breezeways or anything, mm-hmm. it was a you know, a creaky, squeaky house, yep. single skin timber, and it, it wasn't insulated. So Exactly. And yeah. if, it, if you're anything like my family, you had uh, enclosed verandas that were very poorly enclosed as well, but they were used for, commonly used for extra bedrooms and sleep outs. And that's where I had my room. And I can tell you it was freezing. And I often um, got visits from possums up in the rafters as well, because that's how much gap there was between the roof and the walls. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I feel that. And look, um, just before we move on, it has become quite you know prestigious t- to live in a Queenslander. Absolutely. Now, I kind of find it ironic that a lot of these houses, and especially when I look at Bluey's house, that screams workers' cottage to me. But a lot of our American uh, listeners and the Americans on the fan groups find out how much Bluey's house is worth and they kind of <laughs> flip out over it. It's amazing, how isn't is it? This, how has this happened? It's really quite amazing. And I often um, am absolutely shocked when I look at the recent sale prizes for houses I'm researching and think this would have been built as, you know, probably it was built as a rental property for a working class family. They wouldn't have been able to afford it. It was very basic, very humble. They were standard designs and they were very, very well built though. And they were built from great quality hardwood when we had a plentiful supply of that. But yes, they've, I think because they're in inner city suburbs where they're highly sought after, they have become very prestigious and particularly the large grand examples as well. That's, so um, you're talking sort of Ashgrove and those sort of suburbs? Yeah, Paddington, Ashgrove, Inogara, um, even sort of Woolawan, East Brisbane, those yeah. types of places. Yeah. So, yeah, it is quite remarkable how far they've come when, when humble workers' cottages are selling for, you know, one and a half million Australian and that type of thing. It's yeah, crazy, quite incredible. It? it was a good plan, but we didn't know about Rusty's <laughs> kitchen. Now, moving along through the decades, um, we've flipped over to an example of what I think is a post-war dwelling. Now, this is Rusty's house, as seen in the episode Cricket. Um, Now, for the uninitiated, I guess, uh, post-war looks a little bit like a Queenslander, but lacks the... The veranda. So, can you give us a little insight into what you see when you look at Rusty's house? Sure, I can probably tell you more than you wanted to know about post-war homes. And by post-war, we mean houses built after the Second World War, so roughly from, say, mid '40s uh, to 1960s. Although it's very broad. And these houses, because of a shortage of houses and materials after the war, they tended to be much more pared back and sort of no frills compared to the earlier Queenslanders. So they're still made of timber with corrugated iron roofs, but the verandas were taken out because they were sort of considered a bit unnecessary. And the government had also placed um, limits on the floor area that you could build after the war to keep Mm. costs down and and help with the supply of materials. So the veranda was seen as an unnecessary space and it was much more important to have interior spaces. The other big change was that you move from the pyramid-shaped roof that I was talking about earlier on the 1800s-style homes into a much lower-pitched roof, either with a um, what's called a hip, where it doesn't have the triangular pediment at the end or the the sort of low pitch gable roof which is what you can see in the example in the cricket episode and the house we're actually sitting in at the moment. I just love the details of this. 
So in this still, we've got an aerial shot of Rusty with all of his siblings. Mum's screaming from, you know, the front door about, you know, basically be good. But the little details that we can see. So we've got that top um, rail wooden fence. Um, and because of printing and zooming in, you'd have mesh uh, yes, underneath that. Yes, definitely. Yep. But also the gate. So the wrought iron gate with... Um, Maybe it had curlicues, but it always had something a little, I want to say a little flouncy, a little yep. something special because of what you said, the shortages, but the cutbacks on the frills. Um, I love the stripes too of the awnings. Yeah, they're great, aren't they? That's uh, I love the detail right as well. I mean, yeah. even down to, you know, there's the, the portable the air conditioner in yep. the window. So it's yep. a little box air conditioner. And these homes, obviously that technology wasn't available when they were built. So it's a really common addition to these era homes. And even the, the red coloured concrete, you know, that's, yes. we used to live in a house that had oh. that around the, around the outside of it. It's just, they've perfectly captured it. And the other big change also yep. is that it's now low set which is something that was very common um, after the war as well so yes. that captures that but I don't know it's just absolutely perfect isn't it yep and like my house it's blue concrete yeah. going around because yep. they couldn't help themselves yep. back and then in it the kind of half wears off and it sort of looks all patchy and yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's all uneven and the weeds are coming up. Thank you, decades ago for that addition. Rusty played at Jack's a lot that year. So he got pretty good at playing on a rough wicket. Yeah! And we've also got, it's Jack's house and Jack's playing cricket with Rusty under. I'm willing to call it, maybe it's a like a Morton Bay fig it or like a like poinciana a that's mm. not um, bloom. Because the good old, it's there's no grass under that tree. So if you've ever had an established poinciana, you know grass never grows under there and the roots are all buttress. It's the worst cricket pitch I've ever seen um, <laughs> to try and uh, bowl on. But this house in the background, this is distinctly different again. And I'm willing to just sort of throw out a... a an idea of what it might be. Is this Spanish mission because of the, you see this arched door? It's, you're close. It's the same era. So I would <sighs> say it looks a lot like an interwar house, which is between yeah. 1920s, 1930s. And Spanish mission was really popular then. But this, I would say, is more like an old English house. So they uh, sort yeah. of threw back to kind of the Tudor mansions of England and that was the, a thing wasn't it it was at the such time? a big thing with the wealthy yes. in Brisbane so you see yes. all these steep roofed um, brick and stucco places with shuttered um, windows that look like they're straight out of England um, and completely unsuitable for our climate <laughs> but this one looks like a bit of a watered down version of that so you've got the yeah. two nested gables but you're right it's the the curved top of the doorway and the brick decoration the contrasting yes. brick around the door yeah. and the shutters that yeah. really, really make it look that era. And that just makes me giggle because it's two shutters, but there's three window panes. <laughs> and if that's not a mood for that time in Brisbane for building those houses, I, I don't know what is. Shutters the most in useless general, shutters yeah, in the world. They're purely decorative. And you yeah. actually see that a lot in American homes. There's a great guy on Instagram I follow and every week he posts a shutter fail where it's, you know, the most ridiculously small shutter for a giant window or something. So, yeah. It was I think we need to share that, Justin. <laughs> share the shutter fails the of shutter. the world. I just wanted to say shutter fail, shutter fail. <laughs> um, I think we need to share that. And, and Mary, and just quickly, um, before we move on, what 
suburbs in Brisbane would we typically see these houses in? The post-war ones are sort of, you move a little bit further out. So where we are here at Salisbury is one example. Camp Hill, Cooparoo, Carina, uh, tons and tons of suburbs. Yeah, I drive uh, through Stafford and see a Stafford, lot of them. Stafford, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of if you sort of move out from the inner city suburbs, that's how the development spread. Yeah. Um, and a lot of social housing like Queensland Housing Commission homes were built in that style as well, where they bought up whole tracts of land and would build the whole suburb as yeah. well. Um, the interwar ones, they're scattered around. There's some great examples at Holland Park West, um, up on especially the really upmarket examples up on um, the top of the hill near, near Holland Park School. There's some fantastic examples, but also Clayfield's got some great examples of the mm -hmm. old English style as well. Mm. Lots around. They're all sort of scattered here and there. All right, we're moving through the decades. I'm trying to do a voice over like we're moving through the decades. Maybe I could time put some reverb on you later. Oh, could you? I could. All right. Yeah. Moving through the decades. Dad, can you play octopuses with me when we get home? It's so much fun. Um, yes, okay. That sounds like a good way to learn about sea creatures. All right, we're going off to, it's the land of the octopus. We're off to Chloe and architect dad at 101. And they're Dalmatians. I think that's one of the greatest little nods to this doggo verse yeah. that we're in with the healers. Um, and of course, Chloe's dad is an architect. Yes. So hopefully this house is speaking to Marianne. Definitely. It's definitely looking like a very modern architect design home, isn't it? I would probably put it at maybe 2000s. Early, mid-2000s, I think that style was really popular, but it, they haven't changed that much. They're still, they're still being built these days. But it makes me think of um, some of the new areas of Carindale and those types of places that were building these designs. And, yeah, you've got lots of big panes of glass and sort of an asymmetrical design. And very square corners in Very places. square, yeah. very boxy, uh, probably concrete by the looks of it, but with some timber trim, which is something that's still being used. And um, it's, it's more of a vertical form, if that's not too nerdy, um, if that makes sense. Like it's kind of about the height of it rather than the width of it, as it, is, as it was with earlier homes. And of course, you've got the big carport right on the street, which is now basically all you see of a lot of houses because our cars are so important. But it's just, yeah, it's, again, a, a really great example of the style of homes in Brisbane. And it's something, too, that we went through a love affair with. Let's just get rid of windows and we'll make a wall out of glass. Yes. Like, there's only one window in that, technically, that's actually framed by other materials other than glass. And then there's just, we'll make this double-storey bit of, you know, um, structure. And I love how it's steel, because you can actually tell on that. It's yep. those sort yep. of... Um, Oh, I've had a moment. Eye bars, but the yeah, big steel girders, mm -hmm. that's what I'm going for. And no doubt yeah. there would have been a massive big chandelier over that space above the, the staircase yes. or the, you know, the, the double height living room. Like one of those burst. Yes. Yeah, I yes. can see it. I can yes. see it. It's or a mood. Yes. 2000s interpretation of, you know, a mid-century modern stylish chandelier. Yep. Absolutely. And even in this... Like, we're looking at all the houses, but suddenly the gardens change. So there's Definitely. no more poinsianas. 
everyone's cotton on Morton Bay figs get into your plumbing. Um, <laughs> however, you know, you suddenly had to, there's no established trees really, they're in the distance. Um, but true. you got the elephant like ears or the mm. sort of lotus sort of plants. Much in the more front. sculptural, aren't they? They're sort of tied oh, with yeah. the house. Yeah, that's it's, so true. It's all about shape and form. And I'm sure Chloe's dad has opinions on shape and form for his architectural business. And you even see it in the interior of that house. Like Definitely. everything's particular. Definitely. And I love how they just gave him full permission to be the super architect with his house inside and out yeah absolutely it was great and also something that's actually quite I think this is going to be another icon we talked about the hills hoist for a while there kids of the 80s man fairy tale you would often put something over like a tarp or there were custom built covers for your hills hoist oh my you jacked it all the way up so you could create a bit of shade I'd forgotten about that but you're so right yeah, they yeah. were like big canvas oh, covers yeah. yes. it was a thing but you know, then we had the market umbrellas and yep. they have, we've never looked back with those. Yep. They're still quite, um, you know, a fan favourite to get outside. So there's still no verandas either on that's, Chloe's that's dad's right. house. That's mm. where we could take him to task. Maybe put a deck out the back, <laughs> I don't know. But that outdoor area, all of a sudden you had sunshades or sails mm. or the market umbrella, series of market umbrellas. So you could put them down for some yeah, reason. Yeah. I don't know why. And something too that we're noticing the change, you've got the modern street guttering all of a sudden. Mm. So um, you often had the stone in some places around Red Hill and Paddington that was that sandstone that was still framing curbs and where the gutters were. All of a sudden it's now purpose built and new and put in. So we're just, you know, like Chloe's dad's Chloe's dad's house, the Dalmatian's house at 101, new curb and channeling versus... You know, we're off to another house in Sean and we really want to include this house in that episode because there's some really interesting house facades. Michael of Bluey Locations, he reckons he's found this house at Woolawan as well. It's really quite distinctive. Marianne, before we hit record on this, we were talking about what do you call them? And I asked you, are these finials or things that go on the top of your fencing post, are they acorns? Mm. And you thought they might have been artichokes. They're quite distinctive, aren't they? They are. In shape? And look, someone probably knows more about these than I do, but they're definite. Um, sculptures of some description yes i yeah i, I would go with acorn myself yeah. it, if nothing else it sounds way better than artichoke <laughs> and it's it's a thing isn't it of we went through a period of housing especially like these fences to decorate in concrete of all shapes and forms and kinds mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. even the balustrading big thick and juicy and chunky um yep. yeah what, what was that all about what were what were we thinking <laughs> i think it was actually really strongly influenced by the wave of immigration after the second world war where you had lots of italian and greek um, immigrants coming over and they bought that style of fencing and and balustrading with them and it sort of proliferated through the suburbs and became very common and you mainly see it in conjunction like here with the orange brick that yes. um, became sort of synonymous yes. with that that era you're usually two-story homes with a double carport underneath on one side yeah. which is probably our biggest departure from Queenslanders really 
in our architecture. It was mm. a massive change. They had uh, tiled roofs instead of corrugated iron. So yeah, yeah, or even worse, asbestos. Yeah, yeah, yep. and to look like tiles. Yes, so, or to look like corrugated iron. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But deadly. Such yeah, such a mood, and and that's actually a thing too. Like when we say orange brick, just for anyone who hasn't actually been inflicted with the orange brick movement. Uh, entire suburbs were this sort of terracotta, mm. but I want to say faded terracotta sort of tones. But some of these homes were also quite ginger cat orange. Yes. Like um, it's those sort of, I don't know, those sort of, I shouldn't be in charge of Pantone. And, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should. I don't know. It'd be a lot of fun. Um, but it's those sort of tones. So if you can think of a ginger tabby, think of that in like high resolution, high saturation light. Um, and then house after house in yep. these neighbourhoods. These I, ha- I huge think they developments. actually call it cream brick down um, in Melbourne and mm-hmm. Sydney. But I, I, it's orange, let's face it. it it's really orange. Is. It's nowhere yeah. near cream. So, yeah, they definitely, you know, new yeah. suburbs in Brisbane, like they were being built in the 60s and 70s. So Sunnybank is the first one that comes to mind because we used to have you know a cousin that lived yeah. in one of these homes and it was so modern compared to our old Queenslander and it was bright orange and you know two car parking spaces oh my gosh we don't even have one car so yeah it was quite they were quite oh, yes. uh, uh, at the time super modern and now I'm at risk of trying to describe something for an audio medium here, but go with me, listeners. There's something quite distinctive and gorgeous about the letterbox of the yes. Sean... I'm going to call it the Sean house, so of this orange brick house in the Sean episode. And it kind of... that We went through a period with... Um, about 40 to 50 years ago, I think I've done my maths right there, maybe more 50 years ago, uh, where the letterboxes often imitated the style of the house. So there's a certain pitch to the letterbox roof Mm. to a lot of those sort of um, that era of housing as well. We've got the house chopped off um, in the episode, so we can't do our full exploration of the architectural features of this home. But that letterbox is a mood. Like, how would you describe the letterbox thing that we went through? I know. It's quite amazing, isn't it? And so this one kind of looks like a short squat robot almost. And they yes. they were, you know, concrete or plaster and sort of have a big fat belly on the, the support post. And then, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost like... I think the the tops were either metal or also sort of a plaster, but it was like they mm. were a pressed design, wasn't it? It was yes. made to look kind of like they were tiled, but I feel like it yep. was just pressed into the whatever the material was, and they were everywhere. It was kind of a whole part of the house, and oh yeah, it was yeah, a thing. you can still yes. see them. And normally it was grey on top, I think, yep. and even here they've caught it perfectly. You'd have these this beautiful, you know, designed carved letterbox, and then you have these really cheap stick on. The adhesive numbers, numbers, the adhesive numbers. Yes. So they had a bronzy, goldy background and and black figures yeah. on them, and they've just captured that perfectly. And it's in su- such contrast, and it's just the way that we've printed things off, so that we don't have to have a screen in front of us. But the one hundred and one of Chloe That's and right. her family—it's the big concrete blocks, well, I, and, and you yeah, know, it's, it's huge. It's those so boxes. accurate, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah you see such. I don't know if we've our eyesight's got worse, but yeah, the numbers are just getting bigger and bigger on houses. My eyesight's definitely got worse. <laughs> so maybe that's <laughs> maybe, maybe it's because we order going. Uber Eats so much. We have to have bigger <laughs> numbers so they could the drivers can see. Yeah. 
it's a real stark contrast to that. It and is. We don't really get to see some of the letterboxes in the previous stills of like the Queenslanders, but often they were little tinny things mm. with the curved roof. You could shove a newspaper because they were a thing back in the day, not so much now. And you could shove that in the roof, but you could shove letters underneath. And that's, you know, that's where usually a green tree frog lived and scared yes, the, at the, least a gecko. the socks off you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, yeah, or three million geckos or even worse, a green tree snake going, what? <laughs> well, you've got mail. Any mail for me? And just in general, like, to wrap it up with you, Marianne, and thanks again for sitting down with us to talk about a it's cartoon about pleasure. dogs, right, and the houses <laughs> that they live in. But, um, like, looking at these sort of images and how Ludo Studios have captured the light, um, the shapes, the form of these structures that we call home around Brisbane. Like, what are some of your uh, final remarks about this? I, my absolute favourite part is like in, in um, Wagon Ride where they show the shots of, the, of all the houses in the background and it's the colours. I love the bright, colourful nature of it and I love how accurate the houses are which make me very happy as a, as a history house nerd. But it's those kind of images that, that are immediately recognisable, I think, and also the trees that are common to, to Queensland and Brisbane, the the frangipanis and those types of things as well so I kind of being such a yeah a building nerd I love those shots because I quickly look at all the different houses and and like I say they they're straight out of the inner city suburbs of Brisbane it's fantastic mm. and there's something really quite um I feel like I'm getting a rather nostalgic but it's it's the vibe. It is a feeling. They've captured the glow of these homes. Yes. So it might sound like I've been quite disparaging about, they had no insulation and we froze <laughs> in the winter of 83, that kind of thing, which we did. However, these homes glow and there is a certain light to that. And I love how they've captured, like the windows look like little eyes. Yes. Um, of, and it does look like a sort of a weird sort of boxy face. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. But it feels cottagey. It feels welcome and it feels warm and lovely and, yeah, and just so welcoming. Um, there's something gorgeous about it. They're very it. inviting and they're very, very homely and I think that's part of the character of them and why they're still so popular all these, you know, hundreds of years later. Um, because of that exactly and they I imagine pulling up in front of this home here and you've got the lights on in the windows and you just want to go inside it looks so cozy oh yeah and you'd always look in just to see what everyone's doing oh yeah well, not I'd, because you're being rude I'd check you'd what colour fireplace they've got in the dining room or the, or the sitting room <laughs> uh, they've mixed their feminine and masculine oh fireplace mantles we're out of here <laughs> pull the wagon go <laughs> and I think it's also to the established gardens isn't it that makes it so so different to oh, new suburbs as well and much more yep. inviting and, and livable and I think that's something you really see on Bluey and for the non-gardeners who might be listening, so we've mentioned things like Poinciana and uh, Frangipani. I mean, the Gila home we know has a jacaranda tree. These trees take ages to establish to have that shape, especially the Frangipanis, to get that sort of the branch network coming off the trunk and then this canopy of nothing but leaves and then it just goes boom, full colour. Um, at this time of year. So the frangipanis are about to go nuts with all their colour. So, yeah, there's some details on this that you can, you know, make so much assumptions because the established trees aren't on the further developments or it's different kinds of mm, trees that people right. were gardening with after the war and stuff like that. And I guess that changes the light and colour too of a city in different pockets as well. 
Definitely, yeah. And I think, you know, it's the, as well as the house styles that changed over the, the, the style of house changed with fashions, but so did the, the plants that you would, you would put in your garden as well. So it's interesting. And I mean, immediately the palm trees that are in, oh yeah, in there as well. You're like, okay, we're in, we're in tropical Queensland here. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's fantastic. The cues that come from that. And you don't really notice until you like us sit here and analyze it all, but it just creates an overall beautiful picture when you're watching an episode. Oh yes. Yep. And then one last question for you. Sure. We often get questions, particularly from our US listeners. If I want to come out here to Brisbane, where do I go? Where do I see this mm. for real life? Like, what are your pro tips if someone wants to, you know, organise a bluey day out to see this sort of thing? What do you recommend? Give me a call. Send me an email. I'll happily lead a tour. I'll give you some examples. But probably I, I would recommend looking at some maybe some places that are heritage listed because that will give you um, some background information as well. But the inner city suburbs, you, I mean, you walk around anywhere in Paddington, Spring Hill, those kinds of areas, and you'll find a great range of different architectural styles. Now, Marianne, there's one thing I wanted to do. I said that was the last thing. Bonus last thing. <laughs> um, for reals this time. For reals. Uh, like, I just want to do a shout out to you. You are the house detective. You do house histories. And I've seen one of the portfolios you've put together for one of your clients, which was phenomenal. Like the things you managed to find, um, digging around and a lot of those old analog sources. So you're the queen of the index cards. Like we're not talking <laughs> about a simple Wikipedia or Google search. And I just want to throw it open to you about, you know, tell us a little bit about how you go digging, about old homes, but how do you find the people behind the homes as well and sure. myth busting, all yeah, those sorts sure. of things. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, my name says it all. I'm a detective and I start off, the first thing I do is exactly what we were doing looking at these homes is I look at the style of the house and try and work out a rough idea of when it might have been built. And then I go from there, like you say, um, I spend a lot of my time in dusty archives, um, you know, like you would have done back in the 80s before computers, just pouring through manual records that sometimes have no discernible order or indexing at all. So it takes all day, but that's the fun of it. When you do finally get it, you know, I have been known to squeal out loud and startle everyone else in the library, but you know, it's just fun. It's great. And I never know what I'm going to find. Um, but then I'll find one thing and that will like following leads in a detective case that will lead me to other areas of information. And for finding the people, one of the best resources for me has been Ancestry. I've actually managed to contact descendants of quite a number of houses I've researched um, mm. because you can view who's in their tree and find matching people and I've been lucky enough to score lots of old photos of houses by contacting these descendants and most of the time they're so thrilled to share the the stories yep. they know and they're stories that I would never find in the archives or documentary sources so that's my favorite part and sometimes I'm even lucky enough to connect the current owners up with the descendants of the past owners which is which is fabulous but yeah it's a variety of different sources I've got standard go-tos but then it depends on where the house leads me from there basically so yeah it's yep. it's fantastic and this is why I haven't got bored over the 10 years I've been doing it and like we met in May uh, we've met several times but meeting you last in May going hey hey I know you here in Claremont 1840 <laughs> established um 
like an 1840 house is pretty rare. That's incredibly rare. That's really, really Probably rare could for count it to on be. One hand? Yeah, in yeah. Brisbane, Newstead House, I think roughly dates from 18 that sort of 1840s. But yeah. we weren't open to free settlement in Brisbane until 1842. We were still full of convicts right up until then, just about. So for Ipswich, yeah. that's very, very early. And most of our houses, I would say, in Brisbane date from between the ones in the inner city suburbs normally date from 1870s at the earliest to um, the similar style of blueies anyway to the turn of the century 1900 so yeah so you don't have to have a house that was built in 18 no, anything no i think to have a history not like, at all. why do people get some house histories what's what's the curiosity about knowing who was here before I, I think it's a variety of different things. I think people like to know, if, the main thing I get asked is when when it was built and that's a combination of wanting to know where it sits in our history but also sometimes for planning requirements. Um, so that's a, the main thing people want to know but I think they just want to know who's been the caretaker of the home previous to them and who what are the other chapters in its story and I think the best thing is that come out of the histories is people do feel more connected to the house so it, they feel like they're one in the long line of... of Yep. custodians I guess so that's a great outcome as well but yeah it, it's I it's a variety of different reasons I guess yeah and is it a thrill for you too to work with personal collections as well as the official history or the official collections definitely yeah it's great to um so some homes actually a homestead I did up at Billawheeler called Kilburnie Homestead uh their plug their 140th is coming up but they have archives that they have been collecting since they first settled the area in 1884 and they have everyday diaries of what they were doing on the property and the most amazing collection I don't think they ever threw anything out so to have a collection like that that relates specifically to the building that you're researching and everything is related to that is incredible so yeah there that's that's what I do for fun sort through that kind of stuff and look, any listeners who are, you know, trying to deal with paperwork at home and you can't throw it away, maybe you're building a collection for future yes, you're, historians. Yes, you're an archivist for future <laughs> yes. historians. That's what you tell your family members <laughs> from now on if you can't bear to part with it. Look, we're going to do a share too about how you can get in contact with Marianne because mm. if you want to know more about what the house detective does or you've been dead curious about what is the history of the home I'm in and I want to know more, uh, we'll definitely connect you up there. Marianne's also offering tours, and boy did <laughs> Justin and my face light up going, well, there's our school holidays. <laughs> there we go. Book us in. Um, but I think that would be thrilling. Um, and we'll share as well Brisbane Retro and the publication. So if you're really curious about wanting to know more about your house, but just even wanting to know more about Brizzy. If you just want to look at pretty pictures of Brisbane houses on my socials, you're, yeah, your you socials can do that. I often share, oh. <laughs> often share different yeah, places. Please um, follow. Around. Yeah. So yeah. We'll put all the links in the show notes, but just give us a quick heads up. Your on, socials? Yeah, on Facebook and Instagram, I'm just The House Detective and I've got a few house tours on YouTube as well. Just if you search The House Detective and you'll find me and my website is housedetective.com.au. And if you can't um, get onto Marianne, if that's not an option, in October, Brisbane always hosts Brisbane Open House. So Google that as well. Look at search for Brisbane Open House on the socials because there's often a lot of these sort of style of homes that we're talking about. And interesting r- buildings of Brizzy. So sometimes 
the ABC at Southbank here in Brisbane's open to go check it out. Um, and a lot of the big concrete blocky buildings around the QPAC. Um, sorry, I'm speaking Brisbane there. Queensland Performing Arts uh, Complex. Uh, and the museum. But there's a lot of also private homes who say, you know what, for two days, I'll let you go traipsing through my 1800s and something halls. And that's what made it was so amazing to see you in May um, because Ipswich do it on the Mother's Day weekend. So we'll share some socials around that too. Um, It's a shout out to that weekend. Sounds great. You've been listening to Bluey's Brisbane. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Bluey's Brisbane. I'll move right next to Mum. There goes the neighbourhood. <coughs> there.